Welcome to Stepdad Success, turning the tide on the way stepdads are seen and show up in the world. We're a new breed of leaders raising leaders. Blood or no blood, we raise them as our own. We're connected, loving, and committed to leading them into the future. If you asked a normal dad, he'd say we're doing the impossible. He'd say, but they're not yours. How do you do it? Yet every day, stepdads around the world are forging the way. That's what we call stepdad success. We're leaders raising leaders. And these are our stories. Welcome, everybody. This is James Corbassa again with Stepdad Success and Leaders Raising Leaders. Uh, we've got a, another interview today, a guy by the name of William Worthington. And I've bumped into William through the Brotherhood, um, through the Warrior Brotherhood. And William is actually a professor, I believe, at Bella University in Texas. Now, I'm sure, I wish I had him on video. We could probably see him with a big hat and boots on, maybe a horse. How are you, William? Are you there, mate? I am, James. I'm ready. No horse, but I got a big belt buckle, if that helps. Awesome, mate. Awesome. Um, yeah, actually, I was just going to say, most of our guys have had a really strong accent, but I don't sense a strong Texan accent from you. Well, now that you brought it up, it'll probably sneak in here along the way. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, mate. Excellent. It's more than welcome. Um, great to have you on. Um, mate, if I could just get you to give us a quick background on yourself. Um, I said you're a professor there at um, Bella University. You're also, um, you've had a lot to do with strategic management and business and family business and also run a business by the name of the King's Council, and you can find William's book on Amazon, uh, I believe, the King's Council. So maybe you can just give us a quick background on yourself, William, and then we'll dive in a bit further. Sure. Degreed in uh, engineering and spent about seven or eight years in engineering project management work in Houston, Texas, and a little bit uh, down the road, I guess I got sort of a chip on my shoulder wondering why I was working so hard for somebody else. So I kind of launched my own business uh, and Set up a, a front company for my family's business to handle the fuel engineering and sales end of what they did. And they were up in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. So I, I moved up there shortly after my mother's death to sort of, uh, you know, kind of come alongside my father a little bit, who was aging rapidly uh, over the grief of the loss of my mother. And it was also a time for me. It just felt like it was time for a change. And so it was that seven, eight year itch thing, I guess it was. So I moved up there, set up the company, did 100% commission sales work for about seven years on that arena. Doors opened up that I wasn't expecting to uh, pick up an MBA along the way in the evening. That opened the door to academia, which I certainly never saw coming. Um, my whole family grew up working for a living. So academia was not ever, ever on the horizon, but that uh, opportunity came up and I took it, went and got the PhD, and then after that ended up uh, getting an academic position here and have been faculty at Baylor University for the last decade in the entrepreneurship department. Wow, that must be exciting in the, um, you know, I have played in the online space for the last, oh really, the last 20 years and full time for the last 10 years. Um, yeah, you must, uh, you must hear about all sorts of inventions and ideas and all sorts of things uh, being in that entrepreneurship space. It's fun. The difference between being an entrepreneur and being in the academic side of it is I, I don't have to uh, I'm not limited or siloed to just my thing. I, I get to expand and kind of absorb the whole 
the whole realm a little bit. So that, that's that been a ton of fun. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, having said that, I did uh, feel the need to launch the King's Council, which is uh, it's pretty much what I do on campus, but opened up to a broader market space uh, for business owners out there, what have you. And for, for the, the council, the way the council is spelled is it's really meant to be you know, just to come alongside advisory, a uh, private advisory, if you will, uh, opening up peer-to-peer peer opportunities and what have you. So it's been it's been a very enjoyable thing. Along the way, I met a, a lady and uh, you know really fell in love with her, and she had three three boys already, and we've had since two of our own, and so uh, hence our our, uh, our our meeting up here in the Brotherhood because uh, that uh, basically I went from single guy to married with three children on the same day. Yeah. And uh, that was a slight adjustment. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, mate, that's always you know a topic of conversation here. Just those initial meetings, and I know that obviously you know you met probably you most. I'm sure you met the kids well before the actual wedding day. But how did those? <laughs> how did that? I would hope so. I would. How did those initial meetings go with the kids, and how old were they? You know, we talked uh, Sarah and I talked about that prior to that moment. She was obviously nervous about that. And you hear all the horror stories and what have you. And sure. so we wanted to be careful to make sure that our relationship was clearly moving forward. And that that part of the relationship was important to to test, although we didn't really know what that meant or we didn't know what the boundaries were in terms of the results that we were going to need to see or not. And so one day we just decided to to uh, pull that trigger and see what happens. And I remember the day I showed up at her house and uh, the three boys were up on the stairwell and they, they slowly slinked down the steps, you know, wondering what was around the corner. They heard my voice. They knew of me. They'd heard about me. They'd certainly seen a change in the countenance of their mom. And so they were kind of curious what this future thing was going to hold. They didn't know what to do during this meeting, but one of them had a football in their hand. And so that was my ticket outside American football, just so we're clear, you know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we we went outside and we had a catch and uh, the journey began. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And how was that kind of next you know month, two months? Um, how did they respond to you and how did that dynamic kind of play out? I think what they knew clearly was that I was enamored by their mother and that there was no question in their mind or in her mind for that matter how I felt about her and how I and they saw it through action and words so they knew what I was saying they heard what I said but they also saw what I did and so I'm um, old school old fashioned and so I, I mean I was I opened the door for her you know gave her a hug and kiss she was my number one priority long before we were actually married she was I was treating her as a wife um, with, with the dignity and respect, that sort of thing. That was important to me. It was important to my upbringing and it just came natural. I think they saw that. They saw the fact that she always felt, uh, comfortable and confident and, you know, loved long before the wedding day. And I think that they triggered off of that knowing, I think they sensed, um, peace inside of her soul as a result of these interactions. And that, that spoke to them. And it formed the premise for our relationship moving forward, too, that our relationship was going to be based on that husband and wife relationship being the most important relationship on our on the earth and that everything else was going to come secondary to that, including the relationship with our own children, if need be, which is somewhat controversial. Yet to us, it's a biblical premise and we were following it strictly. And um, 
and lovingly. And we just felt like that was the model that we were going to follow. It was the one that we were going to lead with. And it's the one that we've been doing so for the last eight years. Sure, sure. Um, it sounds like you've come from a fairly stable family. You've obviously got strong sort of values and morals in place. You know, I can tell just, you know, from the you know, opening the door for your lady, that's kind of a an old um, kind of, I guess, tradition that doesn't get used enough these days, I don't think. Um, I'm still fairly old school, um, so I kind of, you know, I appreciate all those little things like that. Um, tell me, what was your upbringing like? Like, are you, you know, a lot of, you know, everyone comes from different, you know, some might be rough. My personal stories, you know, came from a very rough upbringing, and that's part of the reason why I've started this podcast. But um, tell me about yours. Dad was an amazing husband and father, so I had it modeled well for me. And many times in moments of indecision or uh, emotional ups and downs, I would kind of go back and remember how did he handle various situations and see if I couldn't mimic them or duplicate them. I think what was missing is he never really explained that. He never – it's not like he ever taught me how to be a husband or taught me how to be a father. He just – he, but he did model it, and of course that was pretty, pretty massively important. I was the firstborn son, so I mean, I I didn't have older brothers or sisters to learn from. He was the primary learning center. He worked very hard, so he wasn't home a lot. He traveled a lot, and he worked many hours, and so he wasn't there. But when he was there, I just uh, I, I held him on a high pedestal. Still do to this day. Um, I don't you know I don't know whether that's some people would consider that healthy or not, but I I certainly do, and still respect him to this day. I think if I missed anything, it would be uh, the the teaching to go along with it. So it's the thing I try to implement today to my children and to my stepchildren, which I don't really distinguish, by the way. I can, which maybe it's a future topic here, but I don't really divide how I parent based upon whether they're a quote-unquote uh, birth child or quote-unquote stepchild. But I do try to incorporate a lot of uh, teaching and training along the way to kind of uh, get them to where they need to be so that we they not only see it being modeled for them, but they – have it explained too and I'm of course not always perfect with any of that and even when I screw up and say things I wish I hadn't said or do things I wish I hadn't done I try to be good at going back and swallowing my pride and admitting that and saying hey you know you saw something you heard something I wish you hadn't seen or heard and this is why and uh, you know I'm human too and when we try to move on and and use it as a a teaching tool Um, I don't do a very good job of that I'm trying to do a better job of that I'm still at the point where I'd rather just say, you know, do this and do that because I said so. <laughs> it's so much easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting, you know, because um, obviously I've been interviewing a lot of um, stepdads and, you know, just hearing your conversation, I'm I'm thinking, wow, he's really got it together and yet um, you kind of think you can be doing it better. I think it's all relative um, in how we parent. and You know, obviously we, we all do our best with what we have. Um, you mentioned there, you know, that you, you don't kind of, um, separate your kids from, from your stepkids. Um, you know, that's a big thing for me as well. You know, that there's that conversation around blood or no blood, you know? Um, and I, I think as I, as I've mentioned, you know, kids are precious. I think they believe they should have the best that they can have, um, Tell me, what's it, you know, 
was that like that from day one? Um, you know, have you always been, and have you always thought, oh, I'm going to have kids in my life? Um, and, you know, did you ever think that you would have stepkids? Just talk a little bit around that, you know, that concept of looking after your biological kids as well as, as stepkids. For me, it's always been, a, my intent was always to treat them as if they were my own. It's, uh, I had two pictures in my head. One, you know, I'm the new puppy that comes along into their household. Or mm. B, I, I've wrapped them into my world and, you know, made them part of my kingdom, if you will. And uh, B won out. Um, I wasn't going to play a second fiddle in any sense. I'm not trying. I never, oddly, I never tried to replace their father. Um, that was never the intent. The uh, Some situations have occurred that have caused separation between some of the, them and their birth father. But that had nothing to do uh, directly with me. I think it had to do with some of his jealousy of what he saw uh, us building. But that's sure. kind of on his his end. I, I never tried to insert myself in that manner. I think the problems that led to their divorce are the same problems that are leading to their estrangement with his children. But that's a whole other topic. And it's just my conjecture because I don't understand everything that's going on there. But um, I never wanted to separate them. I always wanted to treat them as if they were my own. It's always been that way. And I've never hesitated to to. Uh, issue correction when it needed to be there. Uh, there are times when I, you know, kind of invoke a, a lot of time with Sarah before that happens just to make sure I'm, you know, that we're on the same page. But, uh, you know, I don't get a lot of, well, I get it every now and then, but I don't, I don't, I haven't gotten a whole lot of, well, you're not my dad and you don't have the right to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, it's come up with each of them at some point, but, uh, it usually quickly goes away. Uh, thankfully. Uh, and, we roll gonna, with it pretty good. I was going to say, well, what sort of age ages does that stuff come up? Like, because this is the thing on the on the podcast is all sort of different stepdads listening. There's going to be you know people that have been in it for a long time, people that haven't, people with young kids, people with older kids. What age group did you kind of have those challenges of you know you're not my dad and that sort of thing? I'm I, you know I've been in a relationship seven years. The boys are eight and ten now. I'm kind of I, I hear that conversation and I'm hoping it doesn't come up, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that it will one day. There'll be something. Yeah, Let's it'll see. probably come up because they're human beings and sometimes sure. we, we, we reach and we stretch for some lever that we can pull to get what we want. And that one's sitting out there as I don't think they, I don't think they understand how vicious a comment that is at their age. I don't think they can understand the level of commitment and the work that you put into that relationship over and above, you know, it's much more difficult to build that relationship at the stepdad level than it is at the biological dad level because you have all these other influences that are that are spewing into their brain. And sure. you can't you don't get to control those other voices, uh, at least not. In, in, of course, like you said, there's a lot of different permutations here. But in mine, you know, their dad is in the picture and he's very actively in their picture. And that's not necessarily a good thing because he's not a whole person to begin with. And so uh, that becomes very problematic. So when they disappear, when disappear, when they get on, when they go on visitation for a week or a month, <coughs> we, we get them back. And it's almost like we have to rewire them almost from this craziness that they come back with. And <clears throat> that's just part of our, part of the charge uh, that we have. But to answer your question, their ages now are 15 and 14 and 12 uh, or soon to be 12 
And those are, and then the, the two younger ones are ours. And so they go down to uh, six years old and four years old. So we have a, we have a pretty wide range group. It's a busy, crazy, chaotic household. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that's, um, yeah, that's, a, that is a crazy household. How's the dynamic between the kids? Like, how do they get along? Yeah. I've always found kids really flexible. How, how do they, you know, how are they dealing with having, um, or how are the three boys dealing with having littler ones now? They're fine with it. Uh, it's always been pretty good. As a matter of fact, um, in our, as the, our oldest one has had quite a bit of conflict with his biological father. And when that began, that started increasing his own conflict with his two brothers. Right. So uh, oddly enough, he's been getting along with our biological children better than he's been getting along with his own biological brothers. And, um, and so there's, it's always a mix. It's, it's a crazy blend in there. And so the, the third son, the third child, you know, is somewhere, somewhere in between, you know, there's a little bit of both of that. And, uh, the second one seems very well, he's either very well adjusted or he's swallowing everything, you know, all the way around and has another issue building somewhere that we need to deal with. I'm not sure how to tell the difference at this point, but we're, we're watching for that one. Um, but they, they all get along really well, and the, our two youngest ones uh, adore their older brothers. Uh, that's There's no question there. Hmm. Um, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, their father's in the picture. Uh, does he see the kids much? Is there like a routine? Like for, for us here, we, you know, we're week on, week off, and we know that that transition times can be, can be difficult. Is there a regularity to the, you know, how they see their kids? A biological father and just you know are they you know, what's that relationship that dynamic like with the boys um also yeah it's pretty it's pretty well structured here at least in the state of texas and so it's we have custody and he has visitation rights and what that translates into because we're within 100 miles of one another he gets to see them on Thursday afternoons after school, and he can keep them all the way to Friday morning if he chooses, which he never does. He always drops them back off at the house. And then he sees them every first, third, and fifth weekend, which starts Friday after school and ends the following Monday. And so he has – he could take them for that whole weekend, which, again, he never does. Um, so uh, he has certain pl- – and then during the summer, then we, there's sort of a – there's a split there, and that's somewhat flexible. We, we've handled that multiple different ways. But in essence, he gets them for a whole uh, month in the summertime, plus some other weekends. And, and there's a mix and a blend. Generally speaking, it works fine. Uh, they, you know, we either take them down or he comes and picks them up, depending upon what the situation is. And they go and they just they simply, uh, you know, go and visit with him and his household. And they stay there. And then, then they come back. And... For the most part, it's been okay. Every now and then, you know, I think the struggles that he's having in his own life spew out into into theirs. When he has financial troubles, he he complains about uh, paying child support, and he, he weaves these young kids into the conversation about finances, which I wish he wouldn't do. Sure. I don't. I don't. Well, the oldest one's probably ready to start having that conversation, but but they certainly weren't ready to have that eight years ago when this started. And yeah. And, you know, it comes up constantly. And what it does is it, 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 what it does is it builds a feeling of guilt inside of their lives, you know, where they feel like there's sort of a, a weight that's being dragged around 
uh, be, between us. Yeah, a lot of guilt. Gonna, yeah, I was just going to stop you there. And these little conversations that we have off the cuff create massive holes later. Um, I think it's yeah. important, important the way you brought that up there that, you know, he's, he's kind of venting his feelings. Um, I'm sure he's probably not meaning, meaning to, you know, weigh this guilt upon them, but, you know, inadvertently he is, and that's going to affect the boys later down the track. Um, you know, it's, I, I kind of bring this up again just to, to reiterate that these little conversations that we have all the time, we have to be careful. You know, we have to be careful what we're kind of placing into their minds um, because it doesn't always come out the same as, you know, he's probably thinking, oh, I just need to make some more money, but they're thinking, wow, I'm a burden. You know, there's two totally different um, conversations being heard there. Yeah, there sure are. And those can be devastating as they as they add up over time. And I, I get I get that he needs to vent. But, you know, you're, when you're the adult, you don't you don't vent to an eight year old. You don't vent to a four year old. You, you 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 gut it up and you vent to your spouse. You go somewhere else to your inner circle. I mean, there you don't be venting that kind of stuff to a young person who doesn't have the maturity to be able to handle it. Must let much less give you a hug and, and, and help you out of it. That's not how this works. So. Yeah. When they get older, and they and by the way, so once he starts down that path of venting about money, then there's usually all kinds of other things that that go along with it. Things that are said, lies that are told about their mother, or lies that are told about me. Fast forward eight years, these kids start realizing who's been speaking lies and who has not been venting at all or speaking falsehoods, and and that starts to separate them. They start realizing, well, wait a minute, this is pretty one-sided in the opposite direction. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I hear hey, about you this. Know, I was just going to say, I hear about this a lot in these conversations. And this is why I re reiterate, you know, the conversations that we have with our kids create their futures. And, you know, the premise of this podcast is leaders raising leaders and being able to control some of those conversations within ourselves so that we're not leaving, you know, stains on our children. You know, it's a it's an important topic, and I'm glad you know you've brought it up there. And just you know, I can see you've got your head around it, but you know, there may be people out there listening that um, do have these conversations out in public or out in open with the kids, and it's something that we need to be careful about as far as you know, raising a leader that's confident and you know has a, a solid self worth, um, things like that. I think the hardest thing to stay with that one is as a stepfather and. I know how much work I put into trying to build and stabilize this this blended family, and so when when my, you know when, when my stepsons do something wrong or something they shouldn't do, you know the very first thing I'll tend to do is is to take that personally for some reason, you know as if I had failed as a stepfather or failed as a father period or failed as a parent, right. and then I want to then I want to lash out, you know. And, you know, and, and I think uh, what Sarah and I have discussed several times and I have stacked this <laughs> many times, me meaning I've thought about it and systematically walked through this quite a few times. And, uh, sure. and unfortunately, I'm, I'm still not good at, at remembering this in the moment. But what I've what we've kind of discovered and figured out is, that you know, our, it's it's not that we're responsible for the moment. I mean, in the moment in which they're they're screwing up or doing something they shouldn't do or behaving in a way they shouldn't behave, that moment isn't our responsibility. Our responsibility is to train them in the way in which they should go and they shall not fall far from it. And the idea being that when they're 
when they're in their 20s and they're in their 30s, they'll have this systematic background of training that we've been putting into their head over and over and over again. There's going to be a lot of victories and a lot of defeats along the way. But in the aggregate, when it's down the road, they're going to have a lot to pull from. And I think the, the positives will outgrow the negatives. And the negatives aren't bad either because it, you know, it shows them that we were human too. And uh, when it's all said and done, I think they'll be well-equipped to be good parents themselves. And whether that be uh, step-parent or otherwise. Although I'm trying to spend a whole lot of time teaching them to get it right the first time so that they can avoid yeah. Uh, you know, I'd rather them avoid this having to be a step parent. I think they need to get the get the um, marriage down right the first time. But I was married before, and Sarah was obviously married before. So, you know, we we've we've committed errors ourselves. We're trying to get them to uh, model and understand what that relationship should look like up front, so that we don't so they don't have to go down that path. But and part of that is dealing with conflict. How do you handle conflict? Because it's going to come up. It's not like you're. It's not like there's going to ever be a relationship without it. And so we're trying to teach them how to handle that conflict and how to resolve it as you go through it. Now, gosh, we're not perfect at it. Certainly, I'm not. I got way too much Irish in me to do this well. <laughs> it sounds like you're doing okay, <laughs> mate. Yeah, it is. It's um, it isn't uh, an easy road, um, and there is a you know as a stepdad we're looking at it from a different perspective the kids are looking at us from a different perspective and i know that a lot of kids are very flexible and they you know they just take you on as a dad and it's a beautiful thing to watch because the kids i think are, are much more pliable and much more not so, oh, i don't want to say pliable but much more um accepting and able to be flexible than than us as adults and it's you know it's it's really great to see kids being able to almost, almost um, trying to look for the right word here, but almost, you know, I, I'll go back and just say, you know, they're so accepting that we, we often overlook that. And, you know, we have our own judgments and our own things that we get stuck in. And like you say, you know, you just mentioned the stack and I haven't talked about that um, on the podcast yet, but the stack is a tool that we use within the warrior training to kind of vent and I would say pull the pull the insights from our own anger um, so that we can let go of that anger and, and move past it. But, you know, it, it, yeah, it's interesting the way kids are able to do that on the fly almost. Um, obviously, as they get older, they, they start to hang on to stuff like adults like ourselves. Tell me, for you, William, what's been the biggest shift personally in just being a stepdad you know what have you had to let go of what have you had to learn what's been the, the big one for you I think for me eight years ago I kind of walked away from the business side of things uh, extensively you know I had stabilized a life where I could get away with uh, you know like a 45 hour week uh, you know gusting to 50 and that's down from uh, you know a 60 or 70 or 80 hour a week and I just sort of walked away from those hours in order to uh, invest time in the family part, because I'd heard so many horror stories, and you know, you see it all over the place. And I, I just, I, we were, we were already starting off with a handicapped, you know, so with a blended family. Um, at least that's how I felt, and so I wanted to make sure that I was going to overcompensate for that somehow by 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 shoring up uh, the bulwark there and and spend a lot of time with the kids and a lot of time with my wife and be home for dinner every single night. And that, that meant a lot of opportunities had to go away, you know, a lot of, a lot of opportunity to travel and consult kind of had to be put to the wayside. 
which means uh, walking away from a lot of opportunities to, to put money uh, into our account. So we had to streamline things. And then when we got to the point where we got married and brought everybody under one roof, uh, you know, we sharpened the pencil even more and brought her home because of the, we had at least two kids. And especially when we were talking about getting pregnant and having one of our own, we the, the, the cost of Childcare here in the U.S. I'm sure it's everywhere was just outrageous, and it was easier, uh, it was cheaper to bring her home than to keep her out in the workforce and try to pay for all this childcare. So we did, but of course that meant that now we're down to one income, um, and it was it was healthy enough to keep the food on the table, but it was not. It's not like it was healthy enough to go do whatever we wanted to do anytime we wanted to go do it, and um, so. Now that they're older and a little bit more stabilized, you know, I might be shifting back a little bit more, which is kind of where the warrior thing came into play for me is I kind of re- revamped and rebooted a little bit to expand my own uh, kingdom, if you will. But uh, I think that was the biggest thing to let go because I was so work oriented. It was hard to walk away from that and go into something I was far less comfortable with, which was this, you know, this family role <laughs> and uh, l- learned a lot, though. Yeah, it's. um is there kind of one key thing there that stands out for you that like you had to let go of to um to push forward personally like as a you know like you we all kind of have these humps these hurdles that were challenges that we come up against has there been a big one for you yeah i think what i mentioned earlier about uh, letting go a little bit and realizing that these these kids are a work in progress just like we are and that uh, I cannot sit here and take personally some if they if they go down a wrong path or do something I wish they hadn't done or say something that uh, they shouldn't have said. I don't need to be taking that instant, that moment personally, uh, you know, just because they screw up for a few minutes doesn't define who they are. And I kind of am quick to do that and then take personal responsibility for it and then lash out myself and it becomes this ugly snow spiral downward. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing for And I still haven't learned. Com- I can't say that I completely learned it because I still every now and then catch myself in the middle of that spin down. And I have to stop myself and step back and take a deep breath and uh, kind of regain control a little bit. But uh, th- that was a big one. Um, and certainly the other one was uh, confirming the importance of um, why a, a three corded strand is not easily broken and why it's so important to invest uh, in date night for example with my with my queen and spend time with her to make sure that we are on the same page at all times i I think the greatest gift that that sarah and i give to those children is our relationship they see it they see it modeled they know it's real they know it's uh, genuine authentic all the other buzzwords uh you know we live it we don't just uh, teach it talk about it read about it whatever we live it and they see it and i think that's been a huge a uh, step forward for us and, and a way in which we've been able to crawl through an awful lot of ugly times in our in our own life. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we tend to want to shield the kids so much. And, uh, you know, something I didn't mention before, and, uh, you know, for the last 15 months, I've been fighting, um, fighting a cancer that has threatened my life. And um, so to when you've got kids with an age bracket going from four years old to 15, you know, you, you don't you don't communicate all the information to all the kids at that level. Uh, like you say, leaders leading leaders, you you disseminate information carefully to those who can handle that information. And then you have to, you know, kind of pay attention even after that to what they're sharing with their siblings. And so I, I don't I don't have one of the cancers that you for sure will recover from. I have the one that for sure is going to be a struggle whether or not you you survive it or not. It looks like we're on top of it. I think we've won. 
which I'm thrilled to say, but that's 15 months of uh, a whole lot of struggle and stress, not only on finances, but timing. And, you know, we're disappearing down in Houston to MD Anderson quite a bit. We're spending a lot of it, at, we, or we spent a lot of it of time down there uh, handling that. And the kids got bounced around back and forth between grandparents and babysitters and whatnot. And Overall, though, now that we're coming out on the other side, uh, they 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 have handled things well, and they've a lot of them, uh, especially my stepsons, the older ones, the older other children have have matured quite a bit, especially the oldest too. And I, I've been proud of what I've been seeing through it all. Yeah, um, I hope you don't mind, William. You know, just diving back into that topic around the cancer, and I, I didn't know that, so I'm I really appreciate you sharing that because it is a a disease that is common, um, you know, across the globe now, um, and I'm just wondering, you know, how how are the kids reacting to that being in the conversation now? Because, as you say, it's um, you know, and it's you know, it's a, I guess none of us get out of this life alive, but when something comes in to to possibly shorten that, you know, life, it um, must put a lot of stress on the family. Um, a lot of stress on yourself and it just is do you mind sharing just a little bit of how you know the kids are dealing with that and that conversation because that is a conversation that will come up for for the other dads it will when I after the phone rang and it was the doctor announcing the diagnosis it took a while for me to fully absorb what that was going to mean and what it was going to entail in the coming months and uh, but when I did so kind of uh, in talking with Sarah and uh, through a whole lot of soul searching and prayer and whatnot, um, my world boiled down to two things. I had two objectives and two only. Uh, the first one was that I was going to go that I was going to war. It was going to be mortal combat between me and cancer, and one of us was going to die. Period. And number two, I was going to provide for my family no matter what during that time as long as I could. Everything else in my world, everything in my life, every relationship, every project, every uh, volunteer event, everything else that was on my plate was slaughtered. I killed it. I removed it, killed it instantly. And I lived that way for the last 15 months for the most part and stuck with that. And both objectives were, were made and were successfully accomplished. We killed the cancer, moved it forward. I mean, moved on from it rather, and then um, and provided for my family. In a, the cancer is a rough one. The chemotherapy, I should say, is the rough. Uh, is a very aggressive regimen, and my physician told me I needed to stop work and go on disability and all this other stuff. And I told her that was unacceptable. That was not going to happen. Um, and that period, you know, it just wasn't going to work. And and. Sure. Uh, stayed employed the whole time didn't miss uh you know I, I missed days of work i missed weeks of work uh but i was able to invent and innovate new technologies that are out there the, to make make work possible even through hospital stays and through all kinds of crazy stuff and made it happen so on the kid side of it though um older kids know more than younger kids the the four year the four-year-old doesn't know anything the four-year-old's just looking for the next party you know he's sure. really not yeah. <laughs> yeah he doesn't get any of that uh the six-year-old she my daughter she's a lot more sensitive to these sorts of things and so she you know she there's a lot more fear inside of her heart about what this might mean but she doesn't really she can't really fully grasp it and it comes out from time to time in, in ways that i don't fully understand um, but she too is protected from a lot of the gory details, and she certainly didn't 
see anything or hear anything, to our best of my knowledge anyway, uh, that would trigger more nightmares than she's already had to, to deal with. You know, but then as you step up to the older boys, they they know more, have seen more, have dealt with more. I think the telling thing was when, um, you know, uh, after uh, several cycles of chemotherapy and then a, a surgery and amputation and all kinds of stuff that went along with it, I tried to get back out on the track and go running again, something I had done quite a bit of. And, um, you know, the boys are excited to go running with me and uh, I took them on the run, but you know we we got out there on that run, and I, I would I could have run miles before cancer, but after cancer, that's not the way it worked. I mean, they had the chemotherapy had just uh, done its damage, and so I would you know I, I ran I, it, it probably wasn't 20 yards I would run, and then I would have to stop and, gra- and gasp for air, you know, and they were running behind me, and and they they went silent because they'd never seen this before. This was. You know, this was the big Irishman in the house. <laughs> Suddenly, yeah, right. yeah. He, he can't run 30 yards without <coughs> collapsing. Wow. And they didn't know what, they did not know what to do with that uh, picture in front of them. And so I think that moment in that day, it changed a little bit to them. I think they stepped up from that point on and realized, holy cow, you know, they could suddenly be the men of the house if this thing continues the way it was going. Uh, fortunately, the strength starting to come back a lot more and, um, you know, uh, so I, I think that picture's getting a little bit better, but it was a pivotal moment for them. And I think they learned a lot. And I think for the first time they understood that, holy cow, life, life, uh, life isn't always there and it can be, and it can change on a dime. Wow. Yeah. That's, thanks very much for sharing that, mate. It, you know, like I, I've been fairly blessed. I've been fairly healthy all my life. Um, you know, I'm 46 years old. Um, you know, I've been very sporty and and I can actually feel for you there with the running con- um, conversation there. You know, being a runner, I'm a runner as well. I, I love it. It's kind of my meditation. Um, but when you go through something, and I've been fairly lucky, you know, I've got a little bit of a back injury that's been hanging around that's been stopping me run. But, you know, being in that situation where you know you're fit you're healthy all of a sudden things change and then you kind of lose one of your passions it it's kind of tough and like you say the the boys seeing that um it puts a different different light on life doesn't it yeah it sure does but that's part you know part of life is learning about life and the fact that it can be fleeting and so i was you know i'm I'm not grateful to have gone down this path, but <laughs> one one of the things that got picked up along the way, I think, is a good lesson for them. Yeah, it's um, uh, certainly, you know, I want to say character building, but um, these things, you know, the challenges kind of teach us different things in life. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, my upbringing is quite rough, so... Um, I don't want to repeat that. Um, you know, we learn different things through life and they kind of get get played out in our kids. They say that, um, I think it was Stephen Covey that said, you know, in teaching our kids, we're teaching our grandkids. You know, so we have to, like I keep saying, we have to be careful of what we're actually teaching them and, you know, teaching them about strength, teaching them about facing challenges head on. And, you know, you, you sounded very stoic and very um, confident around your challenge of um, tackling this cancer and beating it, which is fantastic. But um, 
you know, it's probably not hard for other people in a different situation to to be really challenged by that. But we've got to we've got to pass down those values to our kids. Well, the the walk was a difficult one. I've cut some videos, and I you know I've never really organized them in a way to share them out there. But I have burned a few and wrote scripts for many more, uh, not really knowing what to do with it. I just sort of started those videos as a way of handling what was going on. And um, I was telling a, a mentor of mine I had lunch with today, well, I'm just trying to struggle with whether or not I should put those out there and for whoever, because maybe you know, every, everybody's situation is so radically different. I don't know what the video can do to help medically but I do know that regardless of what kind of cancer or what kind of medical condition you have, that's not that's not where the battle is going to come from. The battle is going to happen between the eardrums. And that war between those six inches is is the one you have to win no matter what. And uh, that's the war that that's the one place where I want to war on right there was was those mindsets. And, you know, that that's where I needed to be. And warrior warrior found its way into my life halfway into that uh, journey and was very helpful to help uh, bolster that up. Uh, and before that, I kind of was on my own a little bit trying to find out ways of doing that and uh, ways of, of articulating it. But that was how that's how the war started, was winning that one first. That way, regardless of whether the battle of life was won or lost, the war was won regardless. And that was that was the, the premise. It walked into all the other stuff that happened uh, during that war, <laughs> yeah, a, whole, a whole lot of it, which was unpleasant, uh, it was all still based upon that same idea that we've we've won this war no matter what, and this is this is our mindset. We're gonna and then we're gonna tear it up. We're gonna win it. This is hand to hand combat, and I'm gonna win. Yeah, I think that's super important, William. I, you know, I think that's just something we need to instill in our kids that our attitude is what plays probably the biggest role in life. Um, you know, I can tell just by talking to you, you, you know, you're, you're confident, you, you come from a nice background and, you know, you, you've got your values solid, you know, solid in your life and, and you've got a, sounds like an upbeat, an upbeat, you know, I would not have picked that you um, had a cancer just from your attitude. And I think that goes, all, you know, it says a lot about you. It says a lot about the way you lead your life. And it obviously says a lot about the way you're raising your kids as well. So, you know, it's, you know, hat off to you. Uh, but at, at the same time, it's like we need to be passing these things down to our kids. Now, you, I'm sure you obviously are. Um, just, you know, when we live things, um, they get passed down naturally. But for the people out there listening, you know, our attitude is is super important. Um, and we know it in ourselves that, you know, when we're confident, things go well. When we're, you know, lacking that, things become a struggle. Um Tell me, in your in your life, you know, what's been your biggest challenge as far as dealing with the the stepkids? Uh, I think the biggest challenge for me was uh, dealing with the craziness that comes along with with the with the biological father out there uh, weighing in on us because he's he's acting uh, just there, there's so much craziness that he brings to the table. Uh, and having to walk through that in a manner that um, is still honoring of the rest of our life and not allowing that to to, to uh, take over all the other great things that are happening in our life. Um, I think that's been our, our biggest struggle together. Fortunately, Sarah and I are really good at teaming up. You know, we're, we're excellent partners and we do 
so many things together. Uh, that weekly date night thing has been a big deal, and uh, we manage that relationship. We protect that relationship. That's our, our primary relationship to protect, and I think everything else spawns uh, from that. For me lately, I think that as the as the cancer thing has is beginning to lift, and I still have a few more cycles of, of chemo, chemo to go through, but the side effects are starting to taper off a little bit. The, the, um, the severity of the chemo that I'm on now is much less than it was the last phase or the phase before that. And so I'm able to, you know, I'm able to be at work uh, all the time now, and I, you know, I'm, I'm reawakening that whole side of me. So those two brands are on fire now. <laughs> so I it uh, you know for for me having to put them aside for so many years as well as my um, hobbies you know I put all my hobbies aside I haven't done anything on the hobby side for eight years people ask me what do you do for fun I'm like well I immediately go to my calendar to see what the kids are doing this week because <laughs> <laughs> what do I do for fun I go to this little league baseball game or this basketball game or this soccer game I mean what the heck what are you doing what are you talking about what kind of a question is that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, William, I'll just stop you there, mate. I, I, on a couple of episodes, and even in the Brotherhood uh, yesterday that you know, you're obviously a part of with me, um, I did post some videos of surfing, so don't forget to have fun. I've done the same thing, and I've forgotten to have fun for years myself, um, but don't forget to have some fun. Get those hobbies back out. Oh, I appreciate your video. I watched it, and it was uh, I was cracking up watching you do it because, I mean, I'm I'm sitting there watching the video going like, I'm just asking fun. I don't even know how to spell it anymore. So I'm trying, I'm desperately, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I really am sitting here going, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm just lost on that one. Uh, So I'm system, I'm trying to read. I just subscribed to flying magazine. It's been a lifelong dream to become a pilot and get back in the air. So, uh, you know, I want to do that. Of course, you know, naturally the things that I want to do are expensive, right? I mean, it's not like it's a cheap thing I want to do. It's always more money. Sure. so, uh, you know, it's going to be 10,000 bucks to get a pilot's license at some point. So I, um, I'm not looking forward to spending more money. But by the same token, uh, that's where Warrior kept in, too. Uh, that business was the main reason I stepped in there was to it was to, to reawaken that and get that flowing again. And oddly enough, you know, I got these two brands. Uh, I love going to work. I love doing what I do. I love being a professor at university. I, I'm, I'm building a consultancy not to leave what I do day in and day out. I'm building a consultancy so that I can stay. Sure. Doing what I do day in and day out because the university is never going to be able to afford um, paying me what I'm worth or paying me what I want in order to achieve all the goals that I have. Sure. So I, I will build this business on the side in order to uh, to be able to afford to stay because uh, I, I I thoroughly enjoy it. Sure, sure. I'll send I'll send you over. I you know obviously I've spent a lot of time online. I've been, built many big uh, businesses online. I'll send you over a copy of my book, uh, William, just to so you can. That'll give you some ideas. I, I've dealt with a lot of experts, kind of consultants, coaches, that sort of stuff. So I'll send that over to you. You can have a bit of a read. That might help you along the way. But, Love um, it. Appreciate it, William. I'll wrap this up here now. But um, mate. Thanks very much for being on. Thanks for sharing. I really appreciate the time and just what you've shared today. Tell me, like, do you have one parting thought for any stepdads out there? Is there one lesson that you'd like to pass on? Um, Is there just some last words from you, mate? I think anybody listening has already started to take the steps to any advice that I'd give, which is to understand uh, you know, two things. You're not alone. You're surrounded by people who are also stepdads. And so 
you know, check your ego at the door. Number two, go find information to help you uh, do, to improve what you're doing. It doesn't make any sense to me that you'd spend thousands of dollars getting, a, you know, a college degree, for example, and then turn around and then that's it. That's the last time you invest in yourself. There's an awful lot of opportunities to invest in yourself out there. I mean, you and I have invested a lot uh, into this warrior program for a reason. Uh, this isn't the only program that you can invest in. There's lots of other ways that you can invest in yourself. But I do believe, uh, you know, that the adage that floats around our world is that we, you are your number one asset. I couldn't agree more that there's just absolutely sure. no greater return on investment than what it is you're going to invest in yourself. And that doesn't mean uh, newer fisher, fishing poles or a new boat. That means the things that are going to improve and sharpen your mindsets and skill sets so that you can perform better in the marketplace, perform better as a husband, perform better as a father, you know, get your spirituality right, get your get your body weaponized the whole nine yards. I mean, that's kind of that, that kind of sums it up. And I don't think you have to feel guilty about finding ways and finding people, by the way, to associate with who, who also want to sharpen their skills in those four arenas and making that happen. Very true, mate. Very true. Um, once again, thanks so much. I'd love to have you back on at some stage in the future, William, um, and just talk more about you know a few things you've mentioned today. But uh, we'll wrap it up there today. Uh, we've been going a little while. Again, thanks very much. Great to have you on, and I look forward to staying in touch. James, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you. Would you like to learn more about how stepdads across the globe are joining forces in raising the next generation of leaders? Then head to www.stepdadsuccess.com and grab all the show notes plus a copy of the brand new tactical guide for creating more happiness, health, wealth and wisdom as a stepdad. And if you liked the podcast, please share it with other stepdads you know and leave us a review on iTunes. Again, that's www.stepdadsuccess.com for all the show notes and tactical guide. Come and join the new breed of stepdads, the growing group of leaders raising leaders.